Thank you, Dan and choir and instrumentalists for beautiful worship today. Turn your Bibles to the wise words of the sage found in Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Like it or not, we're about to enter the land of leftovers, aren't we? It always happens, doesn't it? You cook way too much for that fall feast that we have termed Thanksgiving. Two desserts would certainly have been enough. But by the time everybody brings their favorite, we have, well, seven pies and three cakes and a host of holiday cookies and candies on the dessert display. And if there wasn't enough turkey to go around, somebody shows up with a honey ham to boot. Our tender conscience doesn't want us to waste any food, and so we eat leftovers. And we eat more leftovers. The turkey is terrific the first time. The second time with me, it's just sort of so-so. By the third time, the bird is blah. It is bad. And by the fourth time, I'm saying, count me out. Pizza, Chinese, Mexican, anything. No more American fare. Please, just don't make me eat from the land of leftovers once again. Turkey torture is a word that comes to mind to describe the end of November. In his advice to husbands and wives, Gary Smalley talks about something called a word picture. Putting your thoughts and your feelings into a picture so that your spouse, your husband, or your wife can readily understand what you're trying to communicate. For example, in the language of love, Smalley tells a story about a coach named Jim. Jim came home every day from work just too tired to even talk to his wife. And Susan, his wife, was feeling ignored and frustrated and angry. Well, to use the word picture, Susan said this. She told him a hypothetical story about a coach who went out to breakfast with his friends and had a wonderful omelet. And when he was done with his omelet, he gathered the cold egg crumbs and put them in a brown paper sack, a leftover bag. And later at lunch, he and his coaches sat down and watched more film and had a tenderloin and a huge salad. And once again, into the bag went the greasy fat pieces and, well, the leftovers into the doggy bag. Finally, there was, uh, it was the season. They had to stay all day. There was a, a dinner meeting, and they served pot pie, and he and the other coaches had their hearts fill the pot pie, and he just took the rest of the pot pie and dumped it into the brown paper sack. And when he got home that night, he went to his wife and his kids, and he handed them the greasy doggy bag of leftovers. What she was trying to say to her husband, Coach Jim, all we get from you is the leftovers. You spend the best of yourself all day long with other people and other places, and when you get home, all we get is the gristle, the fat, the crumbs, the leftovers. 
I want to enjoy a meal with you. I want to talk to you. I want to get to know you better. I'm longing to communicate with you in a way that you do with the guys at work. You see, honey, we don't long for leftovers. We long for you. What's important for the marriage relationship is even more important in our relationship to God. Our stewardship emphasis this year is built around Proverbs 3.9. In the message, it reads this way. Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and best. Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. Are we bringing to God our leftovers? Are we purposeful and planning and are giving to God? Next Sunday, our stewardship committee asks that you would turn in your commitment card. It looks like this, and there's some in the pew rack in front of you if you didn't receive one or, or you lost yours. It allows us to plan for our missions and our ministry. But stewardship is not primarily about money. It's primarily about priorities. If we honor God in the first place in our lives, then our pocketbooks will follow our priorities. God is only interested in being in the first place in your life. By definition, God is in first place or God is in no place at all. God will never play second fiddle in your life. First of all, are you honoring God with your time? Are you honoring God with your time? Are you investing your life and the life of your family right here at First Baptist Church? Or are you bringing God your leftovers in worship? Is worship for you a priority as you realize that God is the creator and we are the creatures? Is being here today in God's house with God's people a number one priority for you? Or are you popping in on the weekends when there's nothing else to do? Is your passion to be with the people of God? When it comes to your time, are you simply putting the crumbs in the sack and handing them to your Savior? You can only worship God rightly when you worship God as first place. In First Baptist Church, we can only make a difference in your life and the life of your family if you're here. Now, I'm not telling you that it is ever too late for us to influence a life, but I can tell you I've watched it. As time goes, it does become a challenge. Imagine someone bringing to you a, a vine that's been growing for 10 years, and it's now a woody stalk. It's not pliable or bendable or flexible. It's not tender. By now, it's tough and inflexible. And they say to you, now, I want you to grow this vine in the shape of the cross of service. I want you to grow this vine and give this vine all the good values of loving God with all the heart and loving the neighbor as self. We'll try. Sometimes it happens quite well, but you'll hear some bending and cracking and some pain in the process. And yet, if someone shows up with a young, tender green vine and says, shape this in the shape of the cross of service, why, it's easily molded and made and shaped around the Savior 
It is unfixed and unframed, and we can wrap the tender shoot, the tender green vine, and grow it into the place and the shape of the Christ. The vines, of course, are our children, bringing them and forming their life and fashioning their life around God's story of love and sacrifice that show up for the first time with a 17-year-old, and by God's miracle and grace, we might get there, but it's hard. It's difficult. Are you giving God the best of your time or the leftovers? Are you giving God the best of your talent? If you have the ability to organize, are you organizing in one of our ministries here? If you have the ability to sing, you need to be sitting here and not here. If you have the gift of hospitality, are you being a hostess to others? If you have the gift of teaching, are you being lazy? Are you studying and preparing to teach? Thus saith the Lord God Almighty. Are you giving God the leftovers of your talent? And thirdly, are you, are you giving God the first and best in your tithe, your resources, and your riches? Well, look at Proverbs 3, 5. Trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. The message says it this way. Trust God from the bottom of your heart and don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do and everywhere you go. He is the one that will keep you on track. Yes, don't bring God the leftovers of your time, your talents, of your tithe. And then three more things I want to say. First of all, trust God's plan. Sometimes we try to be wise in our own eyes and come up with our own plan rather than do it God's way. God's plan is clear. Sue read it just a moment ago in Malachi 3, 8 through 11. This translation says it this way. Do honest people rob God? But you rob me day after day. You ask me, how have we robbed you, O God? The tithes and the offerings, that's how. And now you're under a curse, a whole lot of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe to the temple treasury, so there will be ample provisions in my temple. Test me in this, and see if I do not open up heaven itself for you, and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. That's God's plan to bring the whole tithe, the 10% of our income, to the house of worship. In the Old Testament, that place was the temple where they brought the tithe. And the New Testament, it is we who are the temple, the gathered people of God, the place of worship. That's God's plan, simple, clear, and indisputable. One of my best friends was having a discussion with a man who is a, a billionaire, now, the billionaire was not a church member of his. He was talking to the billionaire, and the billionaire began to tell his story. He, he talked about each purchase and each merger and each takeover. And after each stage of his story, the billionaire said to my friend who's a pastor, and we kept tithing to our church. And we kept tithing to our church. 
My friend noted, however, when he got to the big bargaining that made him a billionaire, he did not say the line he said all the way through, and we kept tithing to our church. And so my friend honestly saw the missing piece and said, and so you kept tithing to your church? Oh, no, oh, no, he replied. If I gave my whole tithe to my church now, my church wouldn't know what to do with it. They wouldn't know how to handle it. Therefore, I tithe a little differently than most people. My friend is bold, and he said, really? I just never thought I was smart enough to come up with a way that was better than God's way. Walk me through the process. At what point you thought you had come up with a process that was better than God's word? God's word, my friend said, says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, into the temple treasury, to the people of God, to the place of God. He said, I have never been at that place in my life intellectually where I thought my plan would be better than God's plan. How on earth do you not know that God placed you in that church by divine appointment that that church could do missions and ministries in a way that had never been heard of before? You'll never know because you chose to do it your way rather than God's way. I think the billionaire was stunned because people don't usually talk to billionaires like that. And all he said, well, I appreciate your opinion. And that was the end of the discussion. No, it wasn't the pastor's opinion. It was God's word. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. There's certainly a, a lot of good organizations that aren't the church. And I give to some of them myself, but I don't give my tithe to them. My tithe belongs to be brought to the storehouse. Here's the second thing I want you to see. We are to acknowledge God as a source and provider of all. We are to acknowledge God as a source and provider of it all. When we give back 10%, we're acknowledging in a real way that God is a giver and creator of 100%. God's word never says that he's only interested in how we use 10%. He just requires that we give that back to him. And as we do, it causes us to acknowledge his ownership and lordship over all that we have. I know I'm tempted to. We like to fancy ourselves to believe that somehow we're responsible for our own wealth. That was based on our competence and our genius and our work ethic. Proverbs answers that question this morning. He points to vats of grain, does he not? He points to the grapes that are in the vineyard. And those things, the barns of grain and the vats of grapes, they, they're brought about by things beyond human control, are they not? Who provided the sun? Who provided the soil? Who provided the good seed? Who provided the rain? I want you to work hard, and I want you to use the gifts and talents God gave you, but I don't want you to ever think, I don't want to ever think of myself that I'm responsible for my own good position. God is creator, and we are creation and he gives us all things. He gives us health that we'd be able to work. He gave us our talents that we'd be able. He gave us the wisdom to make good decisions. 
We must begin to see ourselves not as owners, but as stewards and trustees of all the things that God has given to us. Bishop Edwin Hughes, one Sunday morning, drove the truth home during a Sunday morning sermon. He was having lunch with one of his wealthy members that afternoon, and after breaking bread and sharing lunch, they began to walk around the man's property, and there were golden wheat fields here, and there were cattle in the, in the fields over here. And the wealthy man said to Bishop Hughes, are you trying to tell me that I, after I've done all this work and made all these decisions, are you trying to tell me that this ranch and farm doesn't belong to me? The bishop wisely said very quickly, ask that question again in a hundred years and you will know the answer. We own nothing. We're simply passing through, entrusted by God to be stewards for a moment. We're business managers. We're trustees. If you and I ever really see the church for who she is, if we ever get a vision of the greatness of the Great Commission, if we ever find the place of the church and the heart of God and his mission for this world, we would run down the aisle with the privilege to contribute to the bride of Christ, the one that he loves the most. God doesn't want our leftovers. He wants the first fruits of our finances. Here's the third thing I want to say to you. We are to receive God's blessing. Let's look again at, at Proverbs it says in verse 10, So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Malachi said something like that a moment ago, didn't he? Bring the whole tithe in the storehouse so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, as the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out my blessings until it overflows. God always blesses obedience. It happened in Dade County, Florida. A pastor was preaching a sermon, something like mine. He, he must have made a, an additional promise or two. And a man had tied $800 to the church in Dade County, Florida. And he said he gave it upon the condition that he would see returns like he'd never seen before. And he did not receive the returns. And so he, it was a breach of contract between him and the pastor of the church. And so he wanted his $800 back. That, that really happened in Dade County, Florida. What about the blessings that God might give to you? The graces that we receive new and fresh each morning to numerous to count. A good creation upon which to dwell. The daily joy of work. The fellowship that we have in the body of Christ with one another. The release from all guilt from our sins because... If we confess our sins, he is just and righteous to forgive us. The loss of anxiety because we know who's in control of this world and the victory over death through the empty tomb of our Lord and peace with God through the presence of our Savior. I don't know any place else to receive returns like that. Money is a gift from God. And when we are in right relationship with God, we'll be in right relationship with money. 
Money makes a wonderful servant. It makes a horrible master. Money makes for a wonderful servant, but a horrible master. Arthur Berry was one of the most famous jewel thieves of all time. It's estimated in his years of crime that he committed more than 150 robberies. That he stole jewelry and jewels in the amount of five to ten million dollars in his lifetime. He always was well dressed. In fact, he often wore a tuxedo and he would just show up at the privileged parties and mingle amongst the guests on the rich green lawns. And finally, he would sneak off and find himself in the house and try to find the jewels or at least sketch out a house plan and see if there were any burglar alarms anywhere. He was sly. And if he was ever caught, he was so charming on his feet, dressed in his tuxedo, he could explain his way out of any situation. But like most people who engage in crime, finally, eventually, even Arthur Berry, with, despite all of his charm, was caught and convicted and served 25 years in prison. When he was let out of prison, he became a busboy at a roadside restaurant, and a reporter got a hold of his story, and now he's working for minimum wage, and he goes and interviews the great jewel thief, Arthur Berry. And Barry said something like this, I'm not very good with morals. I was smart. I, I was good with people. I got along well with everyone. And now that I look back over my life, I think I could have made something of myself if I'd gone another way, but I didn't. And so when you write the story about my life and my burglaries, don't leave out the big job. Don't just tell them that I robbed jewels from Jesse Livermore, the Wall Street Baron. Don't just tell them that I stole from the cousin of the King of England. You tell them most of all that Arthur Berry robbed Arthur Berry. When we rob God, we rob ourselves the joys and the blessings that God wants to so freely give. I close with an illustration that is true. Conversation with the pastor himself has confirmed the validity of the story. The pastor's name is Vander Warner of the Grove Avenue Baptist Church in Richmond, Virginia, and he says this story is absolutely true. He had a young couple in his church that were planning their wedding on a rainy night. And as they were planning the wedding on the rainy night, it was, it was just a few months away. He knew all the planning that goes into the wedding, and well, the bride-to-be got in her car in Richmond, Virginia on this rainy night, and, well, there was the bending of metal, there was the breaking of glass, and unfortunately, on the very night that she was planning her wedding, this young bride-to-be was killed in a car accident. The police officers arrived on the scene, and they began to look through everything, they're trying to find her identity and something, and all they found was a reconciling bank statement, and they, they found the phone number of the fiancé, and they called him to come to the scene, and he came to the scene the very night he'd been planning his wedding, and he found that his fiancé was dead. And about the time he was getting back into his car, the police officer walked up to the grieving young man and said, what kind of lady was this? Well, what do you mean, said the young man? 
Well, all we could find in, to identify her was a bank, bank statement and canceled checks. And I went through her checks trying to find some names or numbers or, or somebody, and that's how we found you. And I was going through that bank statement, and over and over again, a check was written out to the Grove Avenue Baptist Church. The Grove Avenue Baptist Church. The Grove Avenue Baptist Church. What was she? Why so many checks? To this one place, the young man, even in the midst of his grief, was able to share Christ and lead to belief that officer, so impressed by the consistent stewardship of the lady in the car. When they find my checkbook, when they find the register for your debit card, what will they say? Will they ask? Because of our testimony, what kind of person was he? Let us pray. Oh, God, we're reminded this morning that you don't want our leftovers in anything. You don't want the leftovers of our time. You don't want the leftovers of our talents. And you want our whole tithe. I pray this morning that as uncomfortable as a sermon like this might be for some people, that we'd be challenged. That we wouldn't build up walls, but rather we go home and read and contemplate and study God's Word and learn what you'd have us to do. Oh God, perhaps there's someone this morning who wants to give you the most important thing through the death and resurrection of Jesus. There's someone who wants to give his whole life or her whole life to say, I want to give my whole self to make Jesus my Lord. And in his name we pray.